Welcome to Table Time. You'll hear from staff, students, and special guests as we have candid conversations around the table. So take a seat. It's Table Time. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to Table Time. This is Nicole. We are so excited that you're tuning in today because we have such a special treat for you. We have recorded one of our classes from our fall retreat back in October, and we are now being able to bring it to you for everyone to be able to listen, and this is going to be so amazing. This is from one of our volunteer staff. Her name is Becca Jensen, and she puts so much into this class, Um, and we're just so excited for you to be able to hear this. Um, If you have been thinking anything about forgiveness, if you've ever struggled with forgiveness, this is for you. Now, this class was originally for all of the girls at our fall retreat, but I tell you what, this is going to be something very unique, and I think there is something here for everyone. And so we are so excited to bring this to you. And so without further ado, guys, here we go. Colossians 
3.13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, also do you. Or, sorry, I have King James Version on here. So it says, do ye. So that took me off. Did you say 3.13? 3.13, yeah. So, you know, we see in Jesus' life where... <laughs> He had Judas, who was one of his like best friends, and Judas, Judas uh, betrayed him, and ultimately was the one who got Jesus killed, even though that was going to happen anyway, but Judas was the one who made it faster. But whenever they had the Last Supper together, Jesus wasn't like, oh, you're going to kill me, Like we're not friends, you can't sit with me. Like He knew it was going to happen, but he chose to forgive him and love him anyway, and like have that last time with him. And even when Peter denies him, denies Jesus, like, Jesus never, never shows unforgiveness towards them or anyone, and he's always freely giving forgiveness to anyone who asks. Um, so, he did that so much that he would die for our sins so that we can be forgiven. So I wanted to kind of get into why Jesus had to die. Um, so before... This was this morning, so let me, this is when I, I thought I should talk about this, so let me get, like, y'all bear with me, because I'm going to get into, like, some theology a little bit. So, before Jesus was in this, in this world, um, there wasn't really a way for humans to be forgiven. They had to burn sacrifices, so they had to be aware of their sins, they had to confess them, and they had to um, burn animals in order for forgiveness. And that happened until Jesus was born and he became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. So before Jesus, um, God was, um, he wanted to be with his people um, and he couldn't necessarily do that because we are so sinful that, okay, there's a, in Exodus 34, um, Moses, who, God uses a lot for, you know, working with the Israelites and stuff, but in chapter 34 and 33, Moses is able to see God's back, and even seeing God's back had to be very careful. There couldn't be any other people around. There couldn't be any animals around because the world is so uh, evil, and, like, you're like, oh, I'm not evil, but, like, we live in a sinful world, and we live in a world that isn't pure enough for God, but God, like, Moses asked, can I see your back? Can I see your glory? And so God was like, okay, I'll do this, but we have to take precautions and because anybody who sees me will die. So even with Moses seeing God, it had to be super precise and it was like cloudy and like, because his glory is so, it's so hard to explain, but his glory is so like profound that we aren't good enough to see it because sin is in our lives and in the world and God is good and he is sovereign and like, that's just how it is. And so... But God wanted to be with his people, and so there's something called the Tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. And that's in chapter 25 of Exodus. So, Exodus is a big chapter of, like, God and his people and things like that. So if you ever get interested, it's really good, it's really interesting. Um, so, God made himself available through the Ark of the Covenant. Um, but even in the Tabernacle, um, only people, only the priest who was truly, like, free of sin could go in there and they used to tie a string to him because if he went in there and he wasn't holy enough he would die basically and they'd pull him out so like even for priests they couldn't go into the presence of the Lord 
without consequences if they weren't clean um, of sin. So this was like really difficult, um, but when Jesus died, he broke the veil of the tabernacle of the Ark of the Covenant so that God's, okay, when Jesus died, the Holy Spirit came upon us. So now we're able to spend time with God because he lives in us. It's, it's complicated, it's different, but now like we, are, we have unlimited access to God, whereas in, in the Old Testament days, um, it was harder, and they couldn't, it was just really hard. And so when Jesus died, he, he had the ultimate sacrifice, he gave us the Holy Spirit, so that we can be with God, and it's easier, and it's um, more accessible. Does that make sense? Anybody have questions? I can explain now or later. It's really complicated, and I don't know why, but I just felt like I should explain. Um, so that is why Jesus had to die, because um, whenever he died, he took the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, so we don't have to slaughter cows anymore or any animals, thankfully, and um, instead we can go to Jesus and, and God and, and pray for forgiveness for those. So, okay, went on a tangent, so now i got to get back to sin. What is sin? Okay, so the literal definition of sin means to miss the mark. Um, and last night, Tyler talked about um, Adam and Eve and the origin of sin, uh, which we call the fall of man. And looking back on that, like, whenever sin entered the world, um, it changed a lot of things. We were no longer perfect. We could no longer be perfect like Adam and Eve were at one time. And sin is kind of inescapable. Um, it's just in everything, you know, it's kind of, yeah. Okay, there we go. Anyway, so how do we overcome sin? Okay, so firstly, if you are wanting to overcome sin, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Um, you have to give your life to Jesus. You have to commit to living your life. Uh, for God, and it's we call it repentance. So repentance is whenever you pray for forgiveness and you vow not to do it again, or really you do your best not to do it again. It means you've really repented. So if you're praying for forgiveness but you know that you're going to do this sin again, you're not really repenting. Um, and I think you should think about when you're praying if you're really repenting or if you're just you know forgiving for the time being. Um, so. Yeah, repentance and Jesus and seeking God because we're not strong enough to overcome sin by ourselves. So spending time in prayer whenever you feel tempted like Jesus did, um, you know, being prayerful and, and realizing that we're not perfect and seeking God in those times when we feel like we may fail. So why should we ask for forgiveness? Um, well, like I said, it's, you know, um, Jesus died for our sins. So, you know, if we're not, if we're purposely sinning and not trying to live for God, it's, it's kind of insulting. Um, but, you know, God's bigger. He can take it. But it's like, someone died for you. So, if you had a friend who, like, sacrificed something for them, wouldn't you feel like you should, you know, do your best to be a better friend for them? So, it's, I mean, Jesus dying is a way bigger stake here, but, you know, just a little perspective. Um, and sin weighs you down. Um, whenever you make mistakes, you know, you carry that on your back like baggage. And if you don't let go and drop it up to be Jesus, then it, it just gets to you. And it, um, it can affect the way that 
you see yourself and the way you see other people. And you really can't love another person until you love yourself, and you can't know what love is until you know how God loves you. And so it's all connected, and um, if you just let sin weigh you down, then you can't help other people. And Yeah, it's just really tough. And you need to realize that you're not perfect, and that's okay. Uh, because God doesn't expect you to be perfect, and at this point, like, he knows that we're not perfect, and so it's okay. Um, so, are we worthy of forgiveness? Um, in short, yes. Um, you're a daughter of God. Um, you are highly favored. You are loved. Um, you are worthy of everything that God is wanting to give you. Um, and so, when when you ask for forgiveness, like God, God freely gives that to you. Um, he doesn't say, "Oh, I'll forgive you, but I'll bring it up later whenever you screw up again." Like, no. When you ask for forgiveness, like God has forgotten it. He's not going to bring it up again. Um, he He truly forgives you, and He truly lets go. Um, so I wanted to share a little bit of, like, a tiny bit of my testimony. Um, so, because I felt like a lot of us. <laughs> We may pray for forgiveness, but we don't let God forgive us. Um, we, we want grace, but we don't let ourselves receive it. And so, part of my testimony is that when I was a freshman in college, I remember, okay, so my favorite spot on campus is the bench behind Walker with the big tree, because uh, on that bench, um, I had like a, a epiphany. Um, with Caitlin, who was our women's pastor before Nicole got here. So uh, I was sitting with Caitlin, and I was talking about how, like, I want to be forgiven for the sin. I want to live for God. And she was like, Becca, um, God's already forgiven you. Like, when are you going to let him forgive you, and when are you going to forgive yourself? And so, I don't know, I, I think it, it really hit me that it really wasn't that God hadn't forgiven me. It was that I hadn't forgiven myself. And so I think a lot of the times, like, we may be confused Oh, God hasn't forgiven me, or he can't forgive me, but he has. You just haven't forgiven yourself. So, um, how do we forgive ourselves, and why should we? So, like I was saying earlier, sin weighs you down and infects your health. Um, I looked up a study by Hopkins Medicine, and it found that people who are more forgiving towards themselves and others have less stress, anxiety, anger, and sleep better. And I think it's interesting that everything that we do affects our body and our health, you know. Um, it is crazy um, that even when we experience trauma, like that is portrayed through the way we act and, and the things we do and everything that we do is affected. Um, so if you don't forgive yourself, you're doing yourself an injustice and you're you're not being the best that you can be because you're affecting your mental health. Um, and that's important to, to get a grip on that. So if we are worthy of forgiveness, are those who hurt you deserving as well? Um, once again, the answer is yes. Um, it is portrayed in the Bible over and over again. Um, Peter asked Jesus in Matthew 18, 21 through 22, should how many times should you forgive your brother? And he says seven times. And Jesus is like, you know, you should forgive your brother seventy-seven times. Which don't take that literal like everything in the Bible is true, but like if 
I don't think people will actually harm you 77 times, or they will. But I think. So don't count people when they get to 78. You're like, I'm done. It's like, um, there's never enough times that you can offer forgiveness to someone. And um, another time, Jesus tells. Well, Jesus is on the cross. He's on the cross. He's dying for these for people who don't love him or care about him. And God asked, you know, Jesus asked God to forgive these people who really don't know what they're doing. And that's in John chapter 23. And so, like, even at that point where Jesus is being ridiculed, he's about to die, like, he's still seeking forgiveness for the people who have hurt him. He, he isn't holding that against him. He's letting that go. And I'm sure that angered him. I'm sure that hurt his feelings, you know. Jesus is a person, so I'm sure that really did hurt him that... He's doing all of this for people who don't care about him. And I think that we forget that Jesus is a person, and he is capable of feelings. Um, but if he was able to do that and to forgive these people right before he's about to die, like we should be willing to forgive people who hurt us too. And I want to briefly talk about David and Saul. And this also came to me this morning, so I'm a little, a little uh, all over the place here. But... So with David and Saul, um, David was next for the, the line of the kings, I guess, the throne. And this is in 1 Samuel, and it goes into 2 Samuel, so if you want to read it later, that's where you can find it. Um, and Saul was, was very, I guess you could say, jealous of David and, and going after him and trying to kill him, basically. And so David is constantly running from this, and there's a time where... He's hiding in a cave with some of his followers, and if you think about that, like, it could probably be the equivalent to not getting out of bed because of your, you're afraid of the day, or you're, you're depressed, or things like that. Like, um, he was hiding in this cave, like, hiding from reality and hiding from things that could hurt him. And so I think, like, he was probably dealing with some, some internal battles of, I should go out and I should, you know, move on because hiding in this cave doesn't, isn't helping me. Um, but while he's in this cave, Saul goes in there and he was using the bathroom in the cave. So that's fun. That's in the Bible. And, and uh, David has a chance. He could kill him. And, but uh, God said, like, don't kill Saul. Like, he's, um, I don't know the word right now. It's gone. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, anointed. And so, something like that, if that's not the exact word. Do you know that word? I don't know. He is highly favored, basically. And so, uh, David's like, I'm not going to kill him, but like, man, I really want to kill him. Like, this guy's been after me for a long time. So he doesn't, he, he cuts a rope, a piece of his robe off, and he doesn't let uh, Saul know that he's in there. And so, uh, he comes out, like, after everything, is, after he's done his business, he goes out the cave. And then David's like, look, I could have killed you, but all I did was take your robe. And so it's like, through all of this, you know, David has to work through forgiving himself for, you know, being a coward, I'm not going to go words. And then, not that I think he's a coward, but like, anyway, people probably thought he was a coward because he was hiding. And then also, like, forgive Saul, who has been going after him and, like, turning people against him. And, but he instead forgives, and he doesn't kill him. And in the end... He never does kill him. Saul dies um, differently. But, yeah, so 
yeah, there's a lot of forgiveness that David had to do and a lot of things that we see in the Bible where people are forgiving themselves or forgiving other people. Um, so I kind of wanted to get into some misconceptions. Um, and the first one is that Christians don't suffer. That's not true. And I'm going to read from this book, which is called The Beauty of the In-Between. And I've heard that Annalisa and Asia have read this book, or are reading it. Uh, so, it's kind of long, but bear with me because I felt like I needed to read all of it. Um, reading the entire book right now. Yeah, <laughs> all of the book. <laughs> okay. Any confusion concerning the nature of, or character of God will usually surface when you're in the cave. Now, this is referring to David in the cave, but in a different sense of your life. Cave of your life where you're hiding. Okay, or suffering. Nothing will ever cause you to question the goodness of God, his sovereignty, or his justice more than suffering. Suffering has this way of making us believe about things about God's character and nature that are simply untrue. It's in these moments that any house built on something other than the hope of Jesus Christ begins to crack and we're forced to try and make sense of what is happening around us. If there isn't looming doubts about God's goodness or if someone hasn't properly processed implications of living in a world of competing kingdoms, the cave brings issues front and center. I think that one of the major factors that cheers people up more than anything is reconciling a good God with their suffering. If God is truly sovereign and all-sufficient, how can he allow this suffering to take place in my life? How can I reconcile a God who loves me and a God who, will, who would allow blank to happen? Blank filling that whatever is happening in your life. Um, version, the Bible app, reports that in the United States, in 2017, the most popular verse was Romans 8.28, which is, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This doesn't surprise me at all because we are searching for a way to make sense of our pain and to give others a context for their pain and suffering. We want to believe the words of Romans 8.28, that all things are truly working out for the good, whether we recognize it or not. It's not that the Bible has been silent about suffering. It's that often our theology and understanding of life has not truly been shaped by Scripture. Let's use 1 Peter as an example. We know that the Christians to whom Peter was writing to were engaged in a changing culture that was becoming increasingly hostile to the Christian faith. Right from the beginning of the book, Peter reminds them of something that must constantly be at the forefront of their believing, thinking, and living. And this is what the verse says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of a bunch of places, has been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So, and there was elect in exile. So first, you are God's elect. You, through your faith in Jesus Christ, have become one of God's special people. Secondly, we are exiles. You are currently occupying a place that is not your home. Remember that you were designed and created for intimate communion with the Father, but that it was sin that separated us from the intimacy of our Heavenly Father. God's story is a story of redemption, of reclaiming his people for intimate relationship with him once again. In suffering, we begin to lose our footing in the bigger narrative of God's redemptive story. We lose sight of the fall of man and the devastating effects of sin and death on creation. We stop rooting ourselves in a story that is about redemption and God reclaiming relationship with us, which has been severed in the, severed in the Garden of Eden. We forget that we are still operating in a world of competing kingdoms where light and darkness exist and justice does not always prevail. Suffering can also... also the suffering often causes us to let go of the rope and lose sight of that. 
Even in the midst of devastation, this is still a love story, and in the end, the movie has already been determined. Okay. I need to breathe. That was a lot. But, so, I'm not going to get into suffering too much because I could go on that for a long time, but if you need to talk about that, we can, you can find me or Nicole or somebody, we can talk about it. But, that's a misconception that Christians don't suffer. We do suffer. Y'all all raised your hands that you're hurting. We're all suffering. Um, so, how do we deal with the suffering? How do we forgive? Um, another misconception of forgiveness is that you don't have to forget. Um, no, that you have to forget. Like, you know, people say, I forgive and I forget, or whatever. Is that the saying? Yeah, forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Okay, that's what I thought. It just sounded weird. You can't forget. Um, I think you probably could, but reality is you probably aren't going to forget, and that's okay. Like you, we aren't expected to forget. Like Something happens. We're going to remember. Um, and I think that misconception is kind of damaging in our forgiveness process because we feel like we have to forget, and if we haven't forgotten, forgotten then we haven't forgiven. But that's not true. Another misconception is that forgiveness is quick and easy. It is not. You can process things for years, um, and that's okay, but you're making progress when you even consider that. So how do we forgive? Um, we don't have to do that alone. We have people around in this room, a community that surrounds you and helps you go through things. You don't have to go through things alone, so we, we have people around us. Um, we have the Holy Spirit, um, and that is how we're able to actually forgive somebody. Um, the Holy Spirit is God living in us, and so we can't do this on our own, literally, like, I can't forgive you from my own will, like, it's the Holy Spirit working through me that I'm able to forgive you, it's the Holy Spirit working through me that I'm even able to bring you these words, like, this is not me, um, everything that I'm saying is God, um, and remember that God forgives quickly and easily, and it is really ourselves that we struggle with forgiveness, and we struggle with forgiving ourselves and other people. But God has already forgiven us. Um, also, don't run from what has happened. Um, don't be afraid to process through emotions. I think a lot of times, like myself included, something happens, we push it back. We're like, we don't want to think about that. Um, but that's really just creating baggage in your life, and you're not really going to help yourself if you're not thinking about what you're going through. It really helps to, to process what you're thinking and feeling so that you can work through it. And also think about how you have grown since you've been hurt. Um, a lot of the time, people who hurt you, you grow from that experience. Um, weirdly enough, you learn things about yourself, you learn things about people, and think of it as a growing experience rather than a woe is me experience. Um, remember that hurt people hurt people. Um, when you are hurt, you normally take it out on people around you. And I think that's something we need to realize as well, that if people are hurting you, it may not even be about you. Um, it's probably something they're going through, and they may not even know that they're hurting you, which means you holding on to that hurt isn't going to affect them. It's only going to affect you because they don't know they hurt you. You know they hurt you, and you're holding on to that. But they don't know. If you don't tell them, 
And also, don't like, don't be like, okay, I'll get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> so hurt people hurt people. Um, and that's really good to remember. Tyler says that a lot. If you're hurt, like notice, notice what you do. If you're hurting and you take it out on somebody, you need to be able to realize that at that moment that, oh, this isn't about you. Tell them that. I had to do that the other day with Anissa. Um, like, it's okay to, to realize things about yourself in that moment and to address it right then and there. Uh, remember that nobody is perfect. Let go of the expectations that you put on yourself and on others. So, nobody's perfect. You're going through things. Don't expect other people to be perfect. They're going through things. Remember that we are all going through things and that our things aren't more important than their things. Um, I have noticed that lately, maybe because of 2020, but we're so focused on what we're going through that we forget that our friend is struggling and we forget to ask them how they're doing. We just want to tell them how we're doing. So be like empathetic and understanding and always love other people as God loves you. Um, whether or not they hurt you, I know it's hard to love and to forgive, but in reality, like God created them and they are loved by God and they may not be perfect, neither are you. Neither are you. Um, make the decision to forgive and don't do it because you have to do it because you're a Christian. Do it because you want to. Um, I think a lot of the times religion gets in the way and you're like, I have to forgive them because it's just what I'm supposed to do, but you don't actually forgive you really just do it because you should, and I think that makes a big make a big difference on the way you approach forgiveness. Um, and it's something called godly sorrow. So Second Corinthians seven verses nine and eleven, nine through eleven says, "Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance." For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. For worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. So this is talking about like, when you decide to see things that have hurt you and to seek repentance, seek forgiveness for other people, like it brings earnestness, it brings eagerness to clear yourself, uh, longing for, for justice. Like, world, godly sorrow, I'm going to try to explain this, but I don't think I'm doing it very well. Uh, worldly sorrow isn't going to bring you um, joy. Um, but godly sorrow can because you're seeing people for their worth and you're seeing people for um, how God sees them instead of being like, mm, let me forgive them because they should. Um, sorry if I explained that poorly. But um, also remember that it can be a slow process to forgive. I said that earlier, but it really can. Um, there's things in my life that happened years ago that I'm still working through, and that is okay. Um, also... It is important to, to tell people that you forgive them, and, but I don't want to say that you have to. Um, there's things in our lives that have caused so much trauma and so much pain, and maybe it happened years ago, and I don't think you should have to tell them that you forgive them if, when you have forgiven them, because 
like I said, they might not even know that they hurt you. And so if you're like, hey, I just want you to know, I forgive you. Like, it can come off kind of not humble, I guess. And so I think there's some things that you do need to address and you do need to say, like, hey, I forgive you, especially if people are apologizing for it and you have forgiven them. But if it's something that maybe people don't know they've hurt you with or it's been a long time ago, I think that's okay to work through yourself and to realize in your heart that you have forgiven them. Um, and I would say, like, write down what you're feeling and your emotions and write down your processing. Um, that helps out a lot. Um, don't hold on to hatred. God can handle your bitterness. Give it to God. He can handle you being mad at Him for things that have happened. Um, he's bigger than that. Um, and so... I want to encourage y'all to live in the freedom of forgiveness um, with no baggage, no condemning of others or yourself, um, but truly see who you are in Christ and see that you are worthy of so much more than what you're allowing yourself to have. And when you live in forgiveness, you're giving yourself freedom to be a daughter of God. Um, so I'm going to read another. It's much shorter, don't worry, um, from this book. I think Nicole's also using this book, so if you go to her class, you'll hear some more. Okay, so in Freedom of Forgiveness, you have the opportunity to help other people with what you've gone through. Okay, so I'm going to read this. Is there anything that brings more glory to God and disarms the plans of the enemy than allowing God to take our pain and brokenness and using it as a picture of God's redemption? Men and women who, in the very midst of their deep wounding, since the presence and peace of God all around them. When we take what is meant for destruction and ruin it and it and ruin and it I'm sorry. Destruction and ruin. And it becomes living proof that God takes dead things, resurrects them, and gives them life again. It is proof that nothing is beyond his grasp or out of his reach to be worthy of being thrown away. So that story I told you, you know, some pain that was in my life and I didn't go into any detail, but just from the the little bit that I did say like, I could use that to help somebody. I could use that that pain that I went through to help somebody who may experience the same thing. And we're all going through something, and that means whatever we're going through, we can help other people with that. Once we process, process ourselves and live in the freedom of forgiveness, we can use that to help other people. Until next time, guys. We'll see you. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Keep okay, bye. Okay, bye.